This is Factual America. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. How do you make a documentary about someone known simply by his first name? Arnold Schwarzenegger certainly needs no introduction. Or does he? In this three-part docuseries, award-winning filmmaker Leslie Chilcott chronicles Arnold's rise from rural post-war Austria to the highest echelons of the American dream. Join us as we talk with Leslie about all of the layers that make Arnold Schwarzenegger such a compelling subject for a documentary, and how she went about revealing the man behind the larger-than-life persona. Prepare yourself for a masterclass in documentary filmmaking. Stay tuned. Leslie Chilcott, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Things are pretty awesome right now, and I'm really happy to be here with you. Well, I imagine they are pretty awesome. We're uh, talking about... uh, your new doc or docu-series, to be more accurate, uh, streaming on Netflix, and it's Arnold. Um, I don't know if I need to say any more than that, uh, but uh, congratulations. <laughs> and uh, at least here in the UK, which is where we're based, uh, it's the top film on Netflix certainly the last few days. So um, so you've got a real uh, success story on your hands, but maybe you probably always knew that it was going to be, but I'm sure there were challenges getting there and and whatnot. So, um, so thanks well, I again. I did not know that it was going to be, and and <laughs> to hear that it's one in the UK is really cool. I actually didn't know that. Thank you. Well, at least uh, when I get on, it is. So uh, I think it, d- depending on how these algorithms work, um, it works. It that's what's showing up when I look at it. Now you know, um, and it was very kind of you to say you've you've listened to a few episodes. You know, we usually ask uh, start off by asking the filmmakers what is the film about, but it's. It seems kind of funny in this one. What is Arnold about? Um, so maybe we start off with uh, how do you go about making a, a, a doc about a, someone who's known by just one name? You know, we've had like the yeah. filmmakers behind Tina who, you know, unfortunately passed away a few, uh, a few weeks ago. But he's one of these interesting characters who's, you say one name and people know automatically who you're talking about. Yeah, I think I think that's right. But to be honest with you, when I first got the call about this, um, I thought, what's not to know? You know, because Arnold has been such a public figure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm from California. He was our governor for seven years, um, and this this unlikely trajectory is is somewhat known. But when I started really thinking about, you know, when when a filmmaker decides, you know, what the next project is for them. For me, it has to have at least four layers, preferably six. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. But, you know, I'm like, does Arnold have these layers, you know, because he's such a public figure. But the fact that he came from such humble beginnings in Austria and then actually decided that bodybuilding, which was an obscure sport then, well, you know, this was the 60s. And, and, and he decided that bodybuilding was his way out of Austria. And then I started learning about how he was envisioning things and things that became, you know, very popular later in the 70s, whether it was new age movement or just general psychology. And he was from this village of broken men because Austria was on the losing side of World War II, you mm-hmm. know. And all the kids' fathers were dealing with that because they all fought. And you go from there to, yeah, okay, I can see Arnold making it as far as Conan, right? Because those characters were 
supersized comic book, larger than life characters. But he did did it at a time where you have these actors that were tiny, that were doing really well. And it was sort of more introspective. He's not as an actor, a particularly introspective, you know, performer. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that, you know, we have this mess. And when you're from California, it's so great that we have the recall. But when we do, it is a total (laughs) mess. It is a total (laughs) shit show. And you know, over 130 people entered. We just had it with Gavin Newsom, the people that were entering, it's nuts. And the fact that he turned that, like he always does, into an opportunity that he used a competition to become governor, not just running against a Democrat or an independent. He was running against all these other people. And, you know, as you'll see in the doc, he's like, I love those guys. You know, Mm. we had you know, Larry Flint, we had a porn star, we had actor Gary Coleman, we had right, all these right. people. And he's like, those guys made me look good, you know, and, 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 and that's how I advanced. So I was like, you know what, there are multiple layers here. And, and, um, you know, I decided that it, it could be a very layered, hopefully interesting to people documentary. I mean, just out of curiosity, you said, at least four, but hopefully six layers. Are there definitive layers or is that more just sort of you need you need to have a subject that's multi-layered, that there's much, you're going to be doing a lot of peeling of the onion to get to, to understanding. This, this, is, this, this is a good question. I think it's 40% the former and 60% the, 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 the latter because a lot of times, especially people that have been professional athletes, their whole MO is to bury all the other things that distract them. And despite Arnold's three distinct phases, right? Right. Being an athlete, an actor, and then a politician, it's the athlete training that has guided everything that he has done. But that in that singular focus, I mean, I've met heads of state, all sorts of wonderful people, that laser focus that he has is is unparalleled, at least in the people that that I have met. But it also makes it a real challenge as a filmmaker because you gotta you gotta get beyond that one thing to get to those other layers. I don't know if that was a very good answer, but it's sort of how I feel. No, I think it's a great answer, and I think it takes a. a and you're actually giving us some structure to this uh, interview because I think maybe that's where, another place to focus because it is three episodes. It fits along with the three distinct phases of his of his life and uh, but you start with athlete and I think as you've already noted why I mean rightfully so I mean what is it what is it that we maybe do not know I mean for me like you said you mentioned Conan uh, the barbarian already that's how I my first early memories are really of Conan the barbarian and onwards so I wasn't I'm too young to remember his bodybuilding uh, era but uh, there will be some that do there will be some here who don't even don't even remember his, well, or too young for uh, for the movie period, but uh, yeah. but 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 what was it? I mean, it's there's I think as you said, there's something more to him than is your typical person saying, "I just want to bulk up and I'll be famous," isn't it? Yeah, I think you know, for a long time, you know, one of the things Arnold says in the series is, um, you know, born in Austria, made in America, right? Hmm. Which was up for consideration as title for a while. You know, as you throw around, you know, what are the ti- as was I'll be back, you know, right, right, of course. as was was, you know, I, I I really wanted that for a while because it it perfectly right exemplifies Arnold, right? Like he spreads his catchphrases um, 
virally in a way that cannot be stopped. But it's more more than just um, what we now call a meme. It's that it's that um, it, they also become his mantra. You know, the first movie he did, Stay Hungry, right. and he collaborated with the authors on that. That is his mantra to this day. So he has a way of infusing himself like into his characters. So like, you know, you always try and sit back and you're like, what's my thesis for this series right, or, right, right. or whatever it is. And this one kept evolving because the obvious thesis with Arnold and the one that he sincerely feels is, is the guiding you know, factor to his life is with my sense of Austrian discipline. He always says a version of this mm. combined with American opportunity. I was able to do X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. And for me, his actual secret sauce, besides being the most strategic person, mm. I've I, one of the most strategic people I've, I've had the chance to work with is yes, it's the Austrian sense of discipline combined with the opportunity of America but building a key tribe of people to surround himself with to win the world. Well, he says so, that several, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 like he, like he, he you know, he, he always espouses, I'm not a self-made man because so. I had all of this help in this group of people, but it's really true. And he, in bodybuilding, even when he was 15 years old, he would go down to the lake, the Talasay Lake, which is beautiful forested area. And all of a sudden there's a, a lake that's hardly larger than a pond. And they would work out like hanging from the tree branches, doing pull-ups and sit-ups. And there was someone would bring an old fashioned barbell that was left there. And then someone drove a spike into a tree later to do pull-ups and, and other things. And it was always a group. He quickly became the leader of each group, but there was always, you know, he thrives with an audience but he really listens. I mean, he even listened to me right when we first met and, and, and we didn't know each other well at that point. So I think that's, that's another layer for him. Another layer is these bad dad jokes that you heard him telling all the time. That's really him. He's really <laughs> that hilarious goofball. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I'm gonna have to let my children watch because uh, they'll uh, they'll get a, <laughs> get yeah, a cut yeah. of that. Yeah, no, it's uh, th that's interesting. So that I mean that will get to the obvious question that you'd, we'd eventually get to is like you know is here's this larger than life character you've now had a chance to work with them for uh, a few years and uh, is that he's it's everything you would ex I mean I guess there are things we would expect but are there is there anything else that kind of surprised you when you're when you're working with him? Yeah, the his humor surprised me. Um, the way he structures his day, you know, he's up early in the morning, he actually sleeps less than most people. Um, uh, he sleeps five, six hours a night and always has. So clearly, he's got, you know, an hour or two of on everybody else or, or most right. people. Right. And he, um, this cultivating of friendships um, was really surprising to me. He's much more complex in terms of family and friends relationships and always thinking several steps ahead in what his next thing is. I mean, I got to be honest, he's got a lovely place where he lives. He has the coolest animals, you know, Lulu and Whiskey, the mini donkey, the mini horse. He has a little pig now. 
And I think it, you know, he's going to turn 76 in a couple of weeks. I think I'd be like, okay, I did all these crazy things, but you know, what is he doing? He's launching a new app. Of course, it's called the pump, you know, and you're like, why didn't anyone do this previously? But that's coming out. He's got a self-help book because people like his philosophy. Um, and he just doesn't, he just doesn't give up because he truly loves working and more than anyone I've met, I know it's like second or third time I said this, he loves being an American, you know, right, and right. at this time of this fractured society, like he hasn't lost that part of his vision mm. and it's really, you know, surprising. But the other thing is Arnold the flawed is also a part of his layers mm. and mm. he went there in the series and and we agreed nothing was off the table but but he went there and he he knew he had to talk about those things he did talk about those things and some of those things he's never going to talk about again but he recognizes and uh, you know these mm. you know somewhat significant flaws yeah and i think we'll be talking more uh about some of those uh probably later on in the uh, in our chat together um i think uh, actually i was going to well, let's hold off on giving a break, but let's, uh, I mean, I think another part of the mantra that also comes to mind that kept coming up was something from his father, which was do something useful, right? So that's kind of factored in this as well. Uh, yeah. And maybe gets back to this point that he just doesn't turn it off. He's still working. You well, know? Yeah, and I have to tell you, normally I'd shy away from those pithy right, statements. Right, right, yeah. Right. Because you're like, OK, we can handle a couple each episode. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, can you really put it all in the neat little bow like that? Yeah, yeah. But he's got like 10 of them and they haven't changed in 40 years, right. you know. Right. So I think part of the responsibility you have as a filmmaker is not to to soften those things. And with Arnold, you know, we wanted to give you some of what you know. You know, mm. all, you know, because that really is him. It's not like he has this completely different persona off screen or when he's not governing. And he absolutely is is different. There's there's he's much, I think, smarter than the characters he chooses to play. And all these movies would lend itself to believe. In fact, right. he's most like the character in Twins. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> of what any he says. role, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And I would say, I don't know what he would say. I think he'd probably say kindergarten cop, but uh, he's really most like that with just this, this, this glaring optimism. Um, and I think that with him leaving some of those out, even though some of them, I'm like, oh, you know, mm. this again. <laughs> right, right. It, it, you know, he walks around talking to his animals that way when no one's around, you know, because you know, we came over early um, one morning to film him because he has this routine. And I was like, I need to, you know, film some of these basic right. things. And, and my camera and sound guy was just us were waiting around the corner and I come around and he's like having a conversation with his animals, you know, as, as himself saying these things. So, mm. you know, you have to, you have to decide, I have to be authentic to how the character really is. And, and in terms of that authenticity, I mean, uh, you're also we're also kind of started this off about talking about how you know how do you go about making a film about someone who 
we all think we already know. Um, yeah. I mean, is this also an opportunity? I mean, not that you see it so explicitly like this, but is this an opportunity to sort of debunk myths or misconceptions, whether positive or negative, about an individual? Or is it, uh, or do you even even look at it that way? It's more just, let's find who, let's start unpeeling these layers and let's see who comes out. I think I always love, I mean, I think a lot of filmmakers do. I, I love debunking myths, right? <laughs> Where there are actually myths. Right. And I think right. the construct, you know, everyone has these formative childhood years, but because he lived in a place of such pristine beauty, but humble, you know, the only reason their house looked as nice as it did is because it was free because his father was a police commissioner. So they lived on the second floor. Um, what we say in the U.S. is the second floor. Right. And <laughs> the forestry forester lived on the first floor, right. you know, and he grew up in this I idyllic area across from this crumbling castle. And he could walk to that lake, you know, where he works out. Um, but he had an abusive, unpredictable father. Mm -hmm. Who taught him discipline but i mean you know we had this scene where there were only a handful of photos there's lots of photos later but from arnold's childhood that was a time where not a lot of photos were being taken right mm -hmm. you know he was yeah. in 47 and certainly not by uh you know families of little means right. um in their case and you know when he told me a ton of childhood stories but the, there were two that really stuck with me one's not ultimately you know, when they talk about killing your darlings, one of my favorite scenes is not in the film. Um, but this, this idea that the father would have the brothers compete against each other for attention. And when Mother's Day was coming up, you know, his mm. father said, you go out and go hiking and, and pick flowers and, and we'll see who has the best bouquet. We'll see who wins. Right. I mean, that's weird, right? <laughs> and yeah. I mean, I don't want to pass too much judgment, but that's a strange way. Like, go pick your mother's flowers is nice. Who can do it better when one kid is taller and, and older and like, it's weird. So we went to the area where he picked the flowers from and we shot at the time of the year where they were blooming. And yeah. you know, it's always great, you know, when you're when you're directing something and you can shoot in the real locations in, right. in the, you know, in the documentary and you can't do it for everything, but when you can, you know, that forest scene in episode one was the real forest, you know, he went through mm. to get to the bus to, to pick up his older brother. So these, these childhood formative things were really, really indelibly marked or scarred. And he would slip into talking about, them and then a minute or two later he would justify them you know oh well the neighbor's mm. kids were also being hit or the teacher was hitting people That's right. but he has these little tells you know every once in a while like one eyebrow is slightly different than the other when he's really thinking something and he'll mm. look a certain way and i think with someone who has as many talking points as someone who was governor and a great promoter of films right you know you you have to keep going and going and going and going until you finally get to what's you know, you peel the onion, like you were saying, until you finally get to that, that other layer. Yeah. And what was this favorite scene that you had to, did you end up have on the cutting room floor? So he, the banana story. So he, he does, it's still in there. You know, we preserve that. Well, 
how to phrase this. When he was younger, he was sick a lot. He mm. caught everything. And his brother, who was only a year older, seemed to have a better stamina. But he got sick and was in the hospital once for six weeks. And at that time, um, he had another little boy that was in the room with him, but his parents weren't allowed to come in. So he would walk up to the window and wave to his parents who would be two stories down below. And the kid in the bed next to him was a little better off and his parents would send um, bananas up to him and the kid would get one banana. And Arnold was like, what is that? Yeah, because really they're lu- they were luxury that. items back then. You don't know what a banana is? And yeah. he had never had a banana. And he asked the kid for some of the banana, and the kid wouldn't share, but he gave Arnold the banana peel. So he scraped off the inside of the banana peel with his teeth. Oh, my God. And it's just hard to believe, you know? And so we, we, we did kind of um, – I'm allergic to the word recreation because mm. I like more impressionistic things. Right. And especially if they're people's memories. And so we did an original photography scene with that. That was really touching, but it, uh, it, 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 it had to go in the end. So that was, that was sad. Well, inter- it's an interesting story. I, I just, well, there must be so many, I mean, just generally, not even this film, yeah. you, you, you always have so many of these, I can imagine. What's the last thing that gets cut from a, from a, from a film, you know? I know, um, I know. And it's always whether you're just trying to keep up a pace or, you know, I mean, my philosophy is to um, edit musically. Okay. And so it's a little bit of a of a twist on a variation on what um, Walter Murch says. I think he says mm-hmm. something like cut with rhythm or, or right, right. you know, that kind of thing. But I always, like, I do playlists for each episode before we cut. And... It's not, I'm not saying, and I give them to the editors and I'm not saying use these songs. I'm saying, this is right. what I have in my head. And they could be from various time periods. Yeah. And usually it's like a couple current day songs and then something vintage. Like I always try and do something personal, something right. vintage, something classic, and then something, a song I didn't know that maybe right. just put me in the place. And usually it's things I'm finding while I'm in my car. Right. And so right. Right. I make a playlist, the music supervisor pulls it, and then, and, then, and then we all kind of have that. But what I mean by editing musically is, is find whatever the rhythm is of that scene and, and, and go with it. Mm. And then I like to turn off the music and make sure the scene works without music. Because mm. a lot of it's really tempting to cheat. Right. You know? Music is so important, and I, I'm my cinematographers laugh because I'm like, I'm so picky about visuals, but visuals don't matter if you don't have good sound and the right music or no music on, on, on key scenes. I think, I think audiences really respond to what is going on, what they're hearing more so than they realize it. I mean, we have examples all the time. You can see some crappy looking footage on YouTube (laughs) <laughs> but it's really good because you can hear what's going on and it's just a great story, you know? Right, right. I think that brings us to a really good point to give our listeners a, a quick break. So, break. so we'll be right back with uh, Leslie Chilcott, the award-winning filmmaker behind Arnold, uh, docu-series now streaming on Netflix. 
You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with Leslie Chilcott, the award-winning filmmaker behind Arnold, which is now streaming on Netflix, uh, certainly top here in the UK. Uh, we were, uh, I think our discussion took an interesting turn towards bananas and music, uh, even though we're talking about the maybe world's greatest action hero of all times, potentially. Um, I mean, getting back to him, um, so your first episode's about the athlete, and a lot of that is about the discipline and everything that got set him up for what was to come. Um, and you've already mentioned he's born in Austria, made in America. But then then he becomes an actor, um, and he's not just satisfied with being in the movies. He wants to be the leading man. I mean, that is... And at a time... You've already talked about what was going on in the 70s and Pacino and Hoffman. These weren't... These guys were a slight of stature, which I'm happy with since being one myself. Uh, but... Uh, uh, you know, he was just out of left field that he wanted to do this, and yet, lo and behold, he becomes, he, he achieves it. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Even when he first met with James Cameron, um, which was one of our most important, if not our most important interview, because it, they haven't just worked together. James Cameron truly knows the right. real Arnold, and Arnold's tight with a handful of people, Unfortunately, his best friend, Franco, right. um, you know, passed a few years ago. And and that that would have been really something, you know, mm. to be able, you know, to get. We tried to bring him in in other ways, but he was such a great friend and such an interesting human. That, that would have been nice. But James Cameron really knows him and, and has really influenced Arnold's career. I mean, for me personally, when Terminator came out, that dystopian view of the future mm. was so seared in my memory. Right. You know, even though it was a sci-fi movie and somewhat right. absurd in many ways, it I just loved it, you know. And then later you learn, oh my God, that movie was made for only six million dollars. Like, how was that possible? And there's, <laughs> exactly. there's all these things kind of going on there. So, you know, James Cameron said the first time he went and met Arnold for a lunch, that Arnold was like, I, I don't want to be an actor. I want to be a star, right. you know? And James Cameron was like, okay, buddy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I know you from Conan and, yeah. and he had this really insightful thing is that up to that point, Arnold had been the body right. and James Cameron, you know, he talks about how the light hit his face and it fell on that jawline during mm -hmm. the, you know, their first meeting. And he's like, this guy's face is intriguing. Right. You know, and, you know, the famous story is that initially he was supposed to play Reese. Right. And Arnold just kept talking about how the Terminator should behave. And there ended up, you know, Arnold ends up playing the, the Terminator. So and, and James Cameron also, you know, tells this story about, you know, I think one of the most famous lines in film history with I'll be back. And, you know, Arnold was like, I, you know, 
I'm a guy with an accent. I don't think I'd say all, you know, I'm a, plus I'm a machine as a show. Right. I mean, right. you know, the line has to be, I will be back. Right. And as it was originally written in the script, it was all come back. Right. <laughs> right. So Arnold just argued till he was like blue in the face. And, you know, James Cameron was like, are you the fucking writer? Yeah, it, literally, that's what he says. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I just, I can just so picture that happening. So we really needed those stories because the challenge with the actor episode is, you know, Arnold's been in over seventy things. Like, <laughs> yeah. We can't do it justice, right, right? You know, and I'm like, everybody's going to be like, "Where's this movie?" Or "Where's why isn't there more on Total Recall?" Or or whatever it is. Or Kindergarten and Cop. So, what's that? Or even Kindergarten Cop, which I don't think, I don't know if I remember seeing a scene from Kindergarten. You know, I mean, like you said, there's just all these different movies. Yeah. Of course, there gonna... was a scene with Kindergarten Cop that was quite long, you know, as yeah. was, you know, yeah. you know, all these other things. Like the, both the joy and, you know, my first love is, is feature documentaries. And what I love about series is you can actually do a deeper dive. Right, right. But then you still have, have this construct of these hour long you know, whether they're 45 minutes or an hour and two minutes or whatever they are episodes that you still have the same challenges, right? Right. You just have to have three complete arcs instead of, you know. Right, right. So, um, so yeah, so a lot of times, you know, and, and riffing on that, that same topic that you brought up when we, when we got to the governor, there's no way we could cram seven years of him being governor into 30 minutes of episode three, Right. 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 So it had to be more about his governing style and how yeah. different it was and how he rewired the brains of his staff to not recognize obstacles and 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 all of that. So sorry, I'm rambling. No, you're not rambling. You're actually that's a nice segue. But before we actually talk about him as the politician, um, I mean, the thing that struck me about the the well, there's a lot of things that strike me throughout all the the whole docu series, but in that one about the actor, I mean, the James Cameron stories that you're right are just incredible. And yet, you know, as I think I mentioned earlier before, my first what I picked up on in the cultural zeitgeist, if you will, at the time was here's this dumb jock bodybuilder guy who just did Conan the Barbarian, and who you know what this is so typical of Hollywood that this guy becomes a movie you know a big star, but that can be further from the truth as is as you show, I mean, he's like, I mean, obviously he took advantage of the fact that he had a certain body type and things, but you know, he does, he does acting lessons. He does all these things um, to, to better himself, to achieve what he's trying to become. And as you said, I mean, yeah. He he, what's that? He trains. He trains. Yes. Yeah. With everything that he does, he, he trains. And it sounds like such a basic concept, but you know, even while we were filming, the documentary um, FUBAR came into the picture mm. and he, you know, we would show up or I would just, I did a lot of um, audio only interviews with him, you know, without mm. camera and lights to sort of try and get past the talking points. Right. And uh, sometimes I, I would show up and he would be there with his acting coach, you know, reading the script, running lines. Mm. And, um, and he did it for months and months, you know, so mm. he, he really does train and, and study. And the fact that he and Sloan were running neck and neck, although Arnold was, is always physically supersized compared to right. Sloan and most right. people Yeah. at the height of all that, after predator commando, like all of that, he was like, yeah, comedy, 
you know? Well, yeah. And I'm going to try comedy because, you know, I know I'm funny. You know, maybe the nobody else, you know, his friends knew, but yeah. like the public didn't know that. And it's such a risk. And, you know, I think the essential mystery of Arnold is did he see the trend coming and pivot like action and comedy? Like, did he somehow six years early know he was going to make true lies? Right. Right. Did he set the trend or did he just ride the wave? And a good friend of his, Paul always says, you know, I've known Arnold for 40 years and he sees around corners and I don't know how he does it. And I don't know what's planned versus what isn't, even though I talk to him almost every day, you know? And so an example of that would be in 2003, he did Terminator three, he got paid $30 million and then the recall happens and he runs for governor. So, I mean, was he poised and ready to go? Could he have predicted the recall? Like, did he make right. 30 million because he knew for seven years he wasn't going to be earning those box office dollars, but no one could have predicted the recall. Right. And yet that was how he won because there wasn't a traditional Republican primary, you know? And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, one of my, my personal philosophies about documentaries is like each, each film is its own puzzle, right? And you put all the pieces together and there's not a script. So you're putting all the pieces together, but do you complete the puzzle or do you leave a couple pieces out so that mm. the audience can fill in those pieces however you know they wish? And Arnold is kind of like that. He's that kind of a puzzle, you know? Yeah. And uh, it so so it it kind of um, this voyage that you go mm. on to you know that um that Mar- I always for me that Marcel um, Proust quote that's the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes but in having new eyes. Mm. So Arnold seems like familiar territory, right? So how how do we look at this differently? And how do we get, you know, he he didn't have control, but he gave us access. So how do you get your subject to 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 show you those other sides? Mm. That's one challenge, which we've talked about. But then how do you take this massive body of work and and cram it into an hour? Like like you can't get all the puzzle pieces in. No. Right? Exactly. Or it would be a five thousand piece puzzle. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, to take the analogy way too far. But I mean, it's yeah, like exactly. yeah, yeah. I mean, but well, you actually mentioned just something briefly. I wanted to touch. You mentioned something earlier that to get beyond the talking points or whatever, you did audio only interviews. Is that? I mean, I know some people are doing a poli- a political doc actually, and it's this issue yeah. that per- the person they're interviewing is always on message always has yeah. the same five, six points they're hammering on at the time. And, and have, you, have you found that a good tool to get beyond that? I mean, there's other things you try to do to get that person to be less off message, uh, less on message, I should say. But is that, is that a helpful tool? For the- me, it is. You know, everyone has their own methods. Like a lot of people believe really strongly in the pre-interview. But for mm-hmm. me... I get frustrated if I do a pre-interview because even if I interview them a month later, 
the subject acts like we've already had this conversation, especially if they're a regular person, you know, like, as I've said, or like I said before, or, you know, because everybody's polite, you know, so they, they, they throw in these things. So I like to start out with, hey, here's a couple subjects we're going to cover today. And, you know, I don't give any questions. I don't even use my own questions. I put them away and we just like have a conversation. But way back when we were making an inconvenient truth, um, Davis and I like finally in like the seventh interview with Al Gore, you know, we got off the talking points. And then near the end of the documentary, we did this interview when I was staying at a hotel in Santa Monica that was just Davis, me and the sound guy. Right. And that interview, which went on so long that the sun set outside. Right. And Al ends up like slumped in his chair like this. Like, is this ever going to freaking end? You know, that's like half the audio that's used. And so it was a real lesson, especially if someone's been a politician, to get them off of, because, you know, we all have talking points. Politicians have official talking points. Right. (laughs) You know, right, right. right. (laughs) <laughs> and so to, I find that that really helpful. And what I do is I just bring my own sound equipment over and, you know, it's, 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 it's not just my phone. It's like decent sound equipment. Mm-hmm. And we do a whole series of interviews. And honestly, even if you don't, we use a lot of it, but even if you don't, you've built a different relationship right. with that person. Right. Right that can inform your next interview. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, it works for me. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about Arnold and, and the project and the film, but how did this come about? How did you become involved? I got a call from um, Alan Hughes, our executive producer, yeah. and he had seen a six-part series that I did called Helter Skelter, an American myth, to your point about myths. Right. Um, and he really liked the way that I approached the original photography in that, um, he Mm. sort of has a similar view of me that, you know, some recreations can be very, um, uh, cheesy as he says. Right. And, um, he's like, I think you'd be perfect for this. And I'm thinking, okay, I, you know, how, how, how did you make that transition? Tell, tell me more, you know, exactly. a, a series about a cult too. <laughs> right. So, and he had a similar a- approach, you know, when, when thinking about the, the idea of Arnold as a series, you know, we were like, wait a second, what's not out there, especially because he's been so public. <coughs> I'm so sorry. Excuse me. No, no worries. <coughs> One sec. so so that was the start of it and alan um you know alan felt that netflix was the perfect home because arnold is such an international star you know we wanted somewhere with a huge international presence and you know you um you go anywhere in the world and it's like people know bob marley they know Marilyn Monroe, and they know Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And and was I mean was Arnold initially receptive? I mean how were I mean I mean obviously he's become very receptive. He's very involved. He's you've yeah, a lot of yeah. uh, a lot you of know, time on camera. He was. I think he'd been approached a lot, especially over the last five years, and I don't think he was ready. 
I think he had a, he had to get to that point right when he was ready to to potentially you know go to that vulnerable vulnerable place he's always had a ton of press coverage but people know that when you make a documentary about them you know this this can get very personal and you mm. have to talk about you know like we had to deal with him that like i said that nothing was off the table and i think you know as he was approaching his 75th birthday i think he finally thought okay it, it's it's time and you know in the beginning we got these little windows you know where yeah. we, could, we could we could shoot and i and i chose to interview him in his home office right so i could get a half hour more here and there and he didn't have to go anywhere and he'd mm. feel comfortable you know yeah. and um he was game right from the beginning i mean i do a terrible arnold accent but you know we wanted to do Logan Schneider, my DP and I wanted to do a camera test because we thought, okay, this one interview is going to be the anchor piece uh, uh, of this. And quite honestly, we did it because, because with Arnold being a film star, we wanted to, to test anamorphic lenses versus spherical. Right. Right. And when we did the test with the, and, and different lighting setups as well, um, we were, we both knew we were going to shoot area large format because it, uh, uh, first of all, I think it's an amazing camera. Um, and we use these brand new lenses that weren't out yet. The signature, um, mm. if you want to get into this, but we use the signature zoom lenses Okay. and, um, we had to keep borrowing the beta versions because they weren't out yet, which became its own drama. Arnold's only available this day and the lens right, right. is in Iceland. So right. can it, you know, come back to us, but, yeah. um, the large format, really isolated Arnold in the room to help ref reflect the big personality that he is. And the test with the anamorphic lenses was beautiful, but it felt like we were in a movie. Right. And in terms of visual language, I wanted people to feel that we were asking, I was asking him questions and this is a documentary. So we went with, you know, spherical and um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the choice, but you know, besides the artistic reasons we, we chose that in the location, you know, it was right at his house and he came in for the test and I had moved this couch so that it was closer to camera. And it was like this big Chippendale style couch and it looked right. super cool. And it was his office and he sits down and he's like, couches cause you to slouch. Slouching is a loser position. I'm always leaning forward. I need to lean forward. <laughs> and the entire crew, which was small, was just yeah. like, oh, my God, who is this guy? And, you know, we, we, we had brought a chair specifically for him to sit in. And I just like the couch better. And, you know, yeah. so out goes the couch. In comes the chair. He sits back down. But, I mean, we, if, if we had an interview time with him at 9 a.m., we were ready at 8.45 because he walks yeah. through the door at 9 a.m. And he sits yeah. down and he goes, what do you want to know? You know, and then I would plan things for the rest of the day. And he's like, is that it? Are we going to do anything else? And I'm like, oh, I have you for more time. And he's like, you do. I'm like, great. We're going to do this, 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 this. And he's, he's just like, he, he really is, you know, someone who doesn't, who doesn't tire. He tires a little bit now that he's getting older. And after some of the interviews, he was emotionally spent and we couldn't do much else that day. But most of the time, you know, I'm like, can we come next time you're at your tank? And he's like, yes. You know, and um, he's a ball of energy. Wow. 
I mean, it gets to this point of, well, it's, it's as with any documentary, especially when you're filming someone like Arnold is, uh, yeah, does he think he is, is he treating it as if he's in a movie, right? You know, in terms of performance and, and things. But I like this, what's this German word, Austrian-German word he uses a lot? Schmay, yeah. I mean, that was it, because that's, because even the, I think you play it twice or it's referenced to it twice, but even the thing he said in Pumping Iron and then... Uh, and then he says later, oh, well, I just said shmay. You know, I was just, it's, it's, it's the best English translation you come up with is bullshit or BS. You know, it's just kind of, but you have to have it, you know, to, to get in life, you know. And it, it's a, it was a very interesting, I think that was another aspect to him that at least for me is I, I didn't have an appreciation for. Yeah, yeah. And um, not my choice, honestly. That was something that Alan Hughes felt very strongly about because Arnold kind of revealed that in some early discussions. Right. But for the reason that you said, um, because Arnold likes to say it's all bullshit and right. yet to him it's not. Right, so, exactly. So I didn't want that to be com conflicting information. Right. Yeah. But this experience you have with Arnold when you're off camera and he loves to tell you inside baseball. Right. Mm. And we wanted to provide that inside baseball experience, but Arnold is always selling. He's always selling. Right. And he's always selling when no cameras are around, you know, it's like that, that David Mamet movie, you know, ABC always be closing. Right. Mm. I don't know if you saw that, but no, I've seen um, that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that really is him. Yet he has this whole plan and strategy that that goes into it. Yeah. So in a way, showing that fits in with, you know, showing the Arnold we know, and then later you see the Arnold, you know, that that we don't know. Yeah. And then I mean, because we're actually coming close to the end of our time. And like your film, and as you've already talked about having such a huge subject, we're, you know. We're not going to be able to touch on everything here. And, uh, you know, there's so much to the film, so many layers, and um, people just need to go watch it, to be to be honest, what I would suggest. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there's this thing. So we've, we've got athlete, actor, politician, or episode three is called American. But, and even I think says it, he recognizes that there are things that have happened in his life that could overshadow that and could possibly lead him, that are going to affect his legacy, and people are going to remember him for maybe something else. Uh, right. And you've, and you've had to, and you've, as you said, you, you've, you've dealt with those. Um, I mean, how did you handle that, deal with that for yourself and personally? Because, you know, there are these allegations that came up during the gubernatorial race, and uh, uh, the LA Times articles that they ran about, uh, accusations from more than just a handful of, of women and how and how would you know how was that aspect of of I mean you've you you did make them address it yeah yeah and um it's interesting because there are whole segments of the documentary that are clearly from Arnold's point of view you know yeah Arnold's point of view on how his family reacted when he ran for governor and those kinds right. of things and I think those are great because you get his take on things. But when it came to the accusations in particular, 
I wanted another point of view. You know, I interviewed yeah. three different LA Times reporters and and two of them, um, Mark Barabek and Joe Matthews, mm. the whole time Arnold was governor, wrote highly critically of him. But even those two were won over by right. his sheer dedication right. and the amount of things he tried, even if they failed. Because as a governor, you have a lot of failures and you have some mm. successes, right? But Carla Hall from the Los Angeles Times, you know, both on and off camera, you know, shared with me how they really, truly investigated these allegations. And when they reported them, she couldn't believe that it immediately went political. And Arnold at the time even gives a speech that says where there's smoke, there's fire, you know, and he hints at, at, at owning up to it. Mm. In the documentary, he flat out says what I did was wrong, right? Yep. Right. And so the approach to that was it, it, it certainly wasn't the first interview, you know? Right, right. And we did a lot of interviews. And at, at that point, Alan and I went to him and we're like, you know, next, next Friday is the day. We need to, we need to address this then. And he, he trusted us at that point. Um. But not only, and, and Carla Hall is very candid, you know, mm. that there were, you know, there was the first article and then there were 15, 16 women in the next article and, mm. and that it wasn't just a, a, a one-off by any means. And then we did the same thing with the, with the affair. Um, right. And he really explains, you know, the viewer has to hold two ideas in their head. Mm. One Arnold had an affair and did something horrible to his family. On the other hand, there's a 25-year-old adult man right. that is the son from that relationship who's wonderful. And as a parent, you can't mm. say I made a mistake because you right. have a human. Right. And while I'm not saying he deserves empathy for that, that is a conundrum yeah. to, to think about what you do in that right. situation. And why he doesn't talk more about it is is only because he doesn't want to hurt his family. But he's very aware that as much as he's remembered or will be remembered, you know, for all of these successes, everyone knows that story yeah. as as well. Yeah. And it whatever whatever he wanted to to achieve, I don't know. Did he ever say anything about I mean, what could have been? I mean I don't know if he would have been able to run for president, given that he was born in the United States, but... Uh, he, he wasn't able to run. Um, I think he would have really considered it in 2016 if exactly. constitutionally he, he couldn't run. Um, but I mean, I asked him multiple times on, off camera, you know, like, what's the current goal or what did you right. miss? He really, you know, like he climbs that peak and then he yes. sees all the other peaks he hasn't he hasn't climbed. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of the documentary, and and, and maybe this will answer your question is, you know, to have gone from the body, 13 international awards. And he's like, what is this? What is this little thing below my rib? It's like fat. Should I have it surgically removed? You know, like, what should I do about this? Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, the rest of us are like, you know, I'm still trying to get in shape. Right. And, And he's fallen so you know, far physically, but then that same person says, my body wasn't, I don't care what the Guinness Book of World Records says, or all they say, I was never perfect. I never got there. I'm like, oh my God, how are the rest of us 
to feel, you know? I know. And it's an interesting perspective. I know. And also, he does say, too, he's, yeah, he's 75. He's just now, he, he's he's come to grips with it, and he's just trying to hold on. <laughs> he's just trying to hold on, but during the course of the film, he developed a new philosophy, probably completely unrelated to what we were doing, yeah. is, you know, well, well, let me back up. If I were to summarize Arnold personally, after knowing him now and making this project, mm. And I'm completely ripping this off from a journalist that I think is amazing called Tom Junod. But he talk, mm. talks about the ongoing comedy of Arnold's limitlessness. Right. And like, you think that he's done and now he's got a series and he's got the app, as I mentioned. And, you know, there might be a little side project with Lulu and Whiskey being stars in it. And there's like... <laughs> Um, I, no, I'm not kidding. It's like crazy. There was a script. There's all this stuff going on. But to me, it's the ongoing comedy of his limitless aspirations yeah. that are just, you know, it's 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 endlessly it's endlessly fascinating. Completely agree. And I think we're going to have to leave it there. Though I'm going to th- sneak one last question in because I know we're getting a warning about you've got a you've got another appointment, but. Uh, uh, what's what's next for you after after this film? An, another pivot. Um, I'm doing a documentary that takes a look at the new American West and how it clashes with our traditional ideas of the American West of dominion over land, animals, and all of these things. And I think during the pandemic, we all kind of realized or re-realized the importance of wild spaces and wildlife corridors and mm. Yellowstones and those things. So I'm looking at the wolf and using the wolf as a portal into talking about all these controversial land preservation issues. Wow. Well, we look forward to that. And uh, uh, I think as your IMDB uh, profile says, you you do not le- like to be categorized or limited. So uh, you're moving <laughs> in a <laughs> something to that effect so you're but no we definitely look forward to that and uh, would love to have you on again uh once that project's dropped that. if we haven't scared scared you off and so just to remind our listeners we've been talking with uh leslie chilcott the award-winning filmmaker behind arnold um really don't need to say anything more except that it's streaming on netflix leslie thank you so much for joining us on factual america it's it's been a pleasure We hope you enjoyed that episode of Factual America. If you did, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. I would also like to thank those who make this podcast possible. A big shout out to Sam and Joe at Intersound Audio in York, England. A big thanks to Amy Ord, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who makes sure we continue getting great guests onto the show and everything runs smoothly. And finally, a big thanks to you, our listeners. Many of you have been with us for four incredible seasons. Please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.